So, how many of you guys yelled at the TV screen Tuesday night? <laughs> how many of you guys had to refrain from throwing something at your TV screen Tuesday night, right? Um, yeah, it is, it is odd, peculiar times. It is strange times. Um, as you see, we're jumping right into the fray. We're jumping right into this topic, God and politics, church and politics, Jesus and politics. And some of you are like super nervous. Who's all nervous about this topic, right? I am. I might offend some of you guys today. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be a, an equal opportunity offender today, all right? Um, so, uh, yeah, just going to be honest there. So, um, I'm gonna, and, and like some people are like, man, no. Damien, don't you know religion and politics? You don't talk about those around the dinner table. You certainly don't talk about those two together. Um, and it's odd and it's awkward, but it, hey, it's been a weird, awkward year. So let's just jump into it, right? And, um, and honestly, like the church should be the safest place to talk about any and everything. So it should be a safe place to talk about this. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just, let's just get uncomfortable. In fact, let's get so uncomfortable. How about everybody stand up, tell us who you're voting for, and then sit with somebody opposite that's voting for the, just as we listen to the sermon, right? It'll just really help the tension in the room, right? Um, no, uh, and how many of you guys would agree that this year, uh, just that word, like uncomfortable, odd, peculiar, I, I'm almost like with praying, I feel like there's something like under the surface. I feel like there's something just like, stirring under the surface and everywhere like there's this thing that's that's going on and even through prayer this week I, I was just like praying through that more like God, what what is this it feels like any moment something's going to erupt any moment something's going to to, to I don't know if it's going to be a good eruption or a bad eruption God and like I, I, even this week I was like I was just kind of reminded again of like I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is going through one of the greatest spiritual attacks in a long, long time. I would say the greatest spiritual attack in my lifetime that I've seen. The greatest spiritual attack. And, and as believers, as in the Bible, and believers in the words of Jesus, this should not take us by surprise. But we're always taken by surprise, aren't we? Like, we, we're always shocked when we have, like, spiritual attack. When Jesus himself says in John 10, 10, Jesus is speaking about the enemy, about the devil, and he says this about him, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes only to kill your family, fill, kill your marriage, kill your relationships, destroy your life, fill you, with, fill you with fear. He only comes for that. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, life abundantly, life with purpose, life with passion, life with joy, life with peace. So we read that right there and like clearly... Those are in conflict with each other. Those are two different kingdoms fighting each other, two different things. And like, we know this, that those are conflict. We know that we have a spiritual enemy, and our spiritual enemy hates, hates, despises the church of Jesus Christ. Because if we are serious about carrying out the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church, he is against that because from day one, the enemy has tried to prevent, has tried to stop the plans of God with his limited knowledge, limited wisdom, limited understanding, right? We see it from the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. Sin enters in. God says, Eve, through your seed, through your offspring, you are going to crush this serpent's head. 
You're going to crush it. We've talked about this, especially many times this last year. What is the enemy running around doing in chaos? He's trying to prevent his head from being crushed. He doesn't want to get his head crushed. So right away, what do we see? Cain and Abel, first kid's born, one kills the other, trying not to get his head crushed. Then God makes this promise to this man named Abraham and says, hey, through you is going to be generations and generations that bring about the goodness and bless nations. And the nation of Israel comes out from them. And so the enemy turns his focus, not just on everyone, he turns his focus on this family, the Israelites. Now they're in captive in slavery in Egypt. The enemy still wants to bring his plans. He still knows the promise is coming through this family. So what does he do? He puts this thought in Pharaoh's head. Let's get rid of the babies. Throw the babies in the river. Kill the babies. Because he's trying not to get his head crushed. Over time, Israel comes into their own land. And then God makes a promise, a covenant to King David. Not just through Israel, but through David's line is going to come the Savior. Is going to come the one. So what does the enemy do? He even laser focuses on David's family. You read that as you just read a lot through the kings. Laser focus on trying to destroy the lineage and the genealogy of King David right up until the point. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. Jesus is to be born. These wise men come asking about it. There's all this talk. The king of the Jews is born. King Herod freaks out. Enemy speaks to him. Enemy uses him. What does he do? Kill the babies. Stop this from coming. Jesus does come. He brings life. He preaches ministry. He goes to the cross in our place. He's dead three days, and he rises from the grave and ascends to heaven. But before he goes to heaven, he turns to his disciples and says, you are the church. Now you have the mission to go bring my hope, my peace, my joy, my message to the entire world. So clearly he wants to stop the mission of God. So the enemy has a target on Israel. He has his target. He's expanding his, he's like, oh man, now I've got to fight Israel. I have to fight the church and I have to fight the next generation. And he's trying to destroy all of those. This spiritual attack is going on. And so often we can look at church history um, in the Bible and outside the Bible, and we can look at what's happening in the world to the voice of martyrs and people that are losing their lives and persecution that is coming against the church, and we can go, man, there is spiritual attack, there is spiritual attack, there is spiritual attack, and we can identify it and we can see it. But right now, we're in this moment that the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, and his strategy is to destroy it from the inside out. And there has been great division in the church. There's been great attack of believers against believers. The spiritual attack has come from the outside for so long. And now as the church is like splintered and hurting, they're attacking each other. And the division will destroy the church. We don't have to look far to go this year. What if it brought division? We look around and there's another reason to be offended. There's another reason for my view to be different than your view and my view to be more important than yours and me to have division and me to take my, my ball and my toys and go home because I don't want to play anymore, right? Like everywhere we look, I mean, it's been landmines for, for church leaders, for pastors, for churchgoers, for teachers, for school administrators, for community leaders. It's been landmines everywhere. What in March we hear this, this coronavirus is taking off and everything's got to shut down and everybody's like puzzling and questions and going, this is serious. We've got to take this serious. And then there's another group of Christians like, this is a pandemic. This is all planned. This is all intended by, by 
by higher powers to put this in place. And there's different views and different perspectives there. Then in the middle of our social distancing and outside of community except over a Zoom screen, what happens is that this great radical racial divide is rised up and it's fueled by the, by the just hurt and pain, misunderstanding, and it's divided so much, and churches again are like, okay, I'm going to speak into this. If I speak into this, some people are going to go, oh, you're falling for the narrative of the media. You're falling for all the lies, all the tricks. And there's another group going, no, that's real life. I've experienced it. I've walked through this. And like, there, there's a divide there of even how to even approach that. Then churches, as churches as a whole, start talking about how we're going to open. We're going to open. What's it going to look like when we open? Are we going to social distance? Are we going to take temperatures? Are we going to wear masks? Are we going to do like all these things and all these different thoughts and all these perspectives? And I'm not coming unless they do this. I'm not going to. So it's been months and months of building up of tension, divide, offense. And now we're full on into the election season, which brings everybody together, right? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, it is, it, it is really, it is truly heartbreaking. And I really like step back and saw, even this week, thinking about how many the enemy has plucked off. Far too many. One is too many. One is too many, but too many have pulled away from relationships, have pulled away from community, have pulled away from being with others because of their offense, because of the divide, and some have even pulled away from their faith in Jesus Christ himself, faith in what the Bible says in this moment. Because the enemy has been on attack. And I think about our Heavenly Father who looks down and sees His church, people that are believers in Jesus Christ, that open the Word of Jesus, the words of God, read it, pray to God, are given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, suffering, self-control, and we are still hating each other, being divided. Ones that should not be part of that. It's hurting each other. Can just imagine the Heavenly Father's heart looking down. How, parents, what do you hate in your home? What do you hate that happens in your home? Whatever age, whatever, whatever stage of life, you hate when the kids are fighting. It ruins a car ride, a long road trip, like nothing else. It ruins a dinner table. It ruins an extended family holiday celebration of extended family coming together. When the kids are fighting, it ruins the, takes the joy, it takes the peace. It just destroys the whole thing, right? How many holidays have been ruined because of fighting? And here's God looking down at his children bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and sees us fighting and divided. And it breaks his heart. Because we're so set on picking sides and division. But we have a hope. We come back to scripture. We come back to remembering what Jesus said. And Jesus came. He came. And he reminds us again. I love how Pastor Tony Evans says it. Jesus did not come to pick anyone's side. He didn't come to choose a side. Jesus came to take over. He came to take over all sides. He is over it all. And yet we are in a political season where everybody's trying to get Jesus to pick their team. We're trying to get Jesus on our side. 
You know that they did the same thing with Jesus when he walked the earth? Everybody was trying to trap Jesus, trick Jesus to pick a side, choose a side, who are you with, who you agree with, all of this. And, the, and the, the political, social, religious landscape that Jesus walked into was very complex of all different ideologies, all different thoughts of the time that Christ came and walked on the earth, of what was going on in Israel, Galilee, Jerusalem in particular, of what is all happening at this time. Jesus comes unto, to Israel when Rome has occupied Israel, they have conquered it. They are ruling over them. They have, so you have Caesar all the way in Rome, extending his reach and control into Israel. Jerusalem, he has Pilate there being an extension of his strength and his power and is controlling the centurion soldiers. Then you have the region, the greater region area. You have King Herod, who's a half-Jew, Half the people, most of the people hate him because they feel like he's, he's sold his soul for this place of power and authority, you know, and he's, he's ruling and he's, he's ruling over the thing as the king of the Jews. And then there's these others that have this religious, have carved out this limited sphere of political influence through their religious affiliations. These are the ones that we see the most interaction with Jesus and especially this time of his trial. The Pharisees, we hear a lot about the Pharisees in the gospel. And, you know, the, the Pharisees are the ones that are like the, the scribes, the theologians of the day. They are, you know, they get a lot of bad press in the gospel. They get a lot of bad press, but they're, actually their hearts were like, hey, we looked at Israel's history, and we walked away from what God called us to do, and look where it brought us. And so they were bent on like, no, we have to follow the law to a T, so much so that they put laws on top of laws on top of laws that it just exposed their own hypocrisy. And it was showing them that they cannot do this on their own. But they, they, they refused to compromise with Rome and, the Roman, and, Roman, and Roman rules and what they were doing. They held close to not compromising in those areas. But then you got the Sadducees. The Sadducees are the, are the, um, are the, the lay nobles, the priests, the aristocrats of the day. And they've got, they want to conserve their wealth and they want to conserve their influence. And so they are willing to compromise with Rome with their, with their religious beliefs and all this stuff. And they're the ones that, uh, they make up a majority of the Sanhedrin at the time, the ancient Jewish court. So when people broke temple rules, when they broke laws of Moses, they had to come to them in the areas of murder, in the areas of adultery. They had to come and appeal before the Sanhedrin. So you've got these groups, and then you've got another group. You've got the zealots. The zealots were like the ones that like, they were exhausted and tired of being ruled by other people, and they said, like, we got to take this, and we got to take this by force. And they're kind of like this underground movement of freedom fighters. Like, we're going to fight our freedom. Come on, Jesus, when are you picking up your sword, and when are you leading the way, right? So they all are, this is, the, this is just a little bit of a picture of what's going on. And Jesus comes into this. And he says, I'm not coming to pick sides. I'm coming to take over. And what is amazing about Jesus is that he reached people from all different backgrounds. He had a zealot. Simon a zealot was one of his disciples. He had two tax collectors, Matthew and Levi, who were exploiting the Jewish people as a Jew themselves and taking money from them to give to the Roman superpower and keeping a cut for themselves, and he reached them. He has a man named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who comes to him at night and says, what must I do to be saved? What does this rebirth mean, right? And then you've got, you've got Joseph of Armaseah. Yeah, thank you. there we go, Mar- Armatheus, and he is a Sadducee, and he lets Jesus borrow his grave, because he only needed it for three days, he just needed to borrow it, he needed to keep it, but that's who he let, this, so he's got that influence, he's, he's got influence with centurion soldiers, Jesus, and he's got this, he's got everybody that comes around 
Jesus. All these different political, religious ideologies come around Jesus. And Jesus is getting ready to go to his father. And he's, no, he looks out and he's got this hodgepodge, motley crew of people that had come from all these different backgrounds. And he's getting ready to go. He's getting ready to ascend, go, go, go to be with heaven. And he does this extraordinary thing right after the Passover meal. We read this in John 17. You can go ahead and turn there. John 17. And Jesus prays this, this prayer for the people, for his disciples. And he prays this prayer. Some people call it the high priestly prayer. I like to call it Jesus' prayer request. Right? Jesus' prayer. If, if you've ever been to one of our groups here at church, or one of the smaller groups, meet, what do we, at the beginning or at the end, a lot of times we wrap up and go, hey, does anybody have a prayer request? Right? People go, oh, yes, uh, can you pray for my Aunt Susie? She's got this going on. Like, imagine you're in a small group with Jesus. Jesus is in a circle. And they go, anybody got a prayer request? Jesus is like, yeah, I got a prayer request. You're like, what? <laughs> you, you got a prayer request? Okay, I'm uh, going to listen to that prayer request that Jesus has. So here he is at the end. He knows he's about to be arrested. He's about to be falsely accused. He's about to be crucified and died. And this is what he is praying with his disciples. After Jesus had said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He's like, here we are, God. Here we are. I've done it. Three and a half years of ministry, of walking with these guys, of showing them what the kingdom of God is like, raising up these disciples, and the time has come for me to go. So here it is, God. This is what we're done. We're at the end. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He had glory before the world began. And he's like, God, you're about to be glorified right now. And the way that you're about to be glorified is a way that would bring terror to us and terrorize us because he's about to bring glory because he's going to willingly, by his choice, go to the cross and give his life to bring glory to God the Father. Then he turns and he prays for his disciples and he says, verse 6, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Just imagine he's praying this out, and like there's Peter again looking up like half-eyed, like, what are you talking about? He's like, Jesus keeps on telling him, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And Peter's like, wherever you go, I'm going. He's like, no, Peter, you can't come. He's like, no, wherever you go. I'm, he's like, Peter, you got to stay. You can't go. I'm leaving. He's telling them over and over, I'm going, you're staying. But then he prays this as he's saying, I'm leaving, I'm going. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. 
Listen how Jesus prays specifically for their protection and how he wants to give them this. And right before this, right before this, he's giving them some bad news. He's saying, hey, the end, the future, it doesn't look good. Some of you guys are going to be arrested. Some of you are going to be flogged. Some of you are going to be beaten. Some of you are going to die. They're like, whoa, hey, Jesus, you didn't tell us that three years ago. He's like, yeah, you weren't fully in. Now you're all in. Now I'm going to tell you the truth of what's really coming, right? And so they're like freaked out. They're like, okay, what's coming? But he doesn't, listen how he prays. He doesn't pray for their physical protection. He doesn't pray for that. What does he pray? He says, the name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. At the very end, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was their unity and their oneness. Their unity and their oneness. Because here's what he knew. Here's what he knows. And he's going to tell us the next few verses of why this is so important. He knows that as long as they remember that he is not coming to choose sides, that he has come to take over, that his things, that he has come to change the world, and the way that he's going to change the world is by putting his spirit inside of us, and that if we get divided and we get splintered and we go off on our own mission, that it would take the very mission of Christ off course would take longer and could even derail the whole thing. It's amazing. And verse, jump down to verse 20. And he says this, this. This is awesome. Like, he includes us in it. Because he says, my prayer is not just for them. Not just for these 12 guys I've been hanging out with, talking to. My prayer is for those next generation of believers that will hear this message. He's like, hey, the next generation. And the next generation. This message is going forth. This message is going around the world. And this message is going to the next place. And the next place. And the next place. And all the way down to us. And here's Jesus' prayer request for you and for me. My prayer is not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. Jesus is saying, hey, I've got this church It's an array of all different people. And that sounds impossible from all these different people to be one. But he is convinced. He sees. He knows that this is possible because this is mission critical. This is mission. This this brings the mission forward. It may seem impossible. Absolutely. But it is imperative. And that's why he makes it his prayer request. And he goes on. He tells us why it's so important that we must be one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Just then he goes, okay, just in case you didn't get that, let me say one more time. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in them, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete disarray. No. <laughs> no, complete unity. Complete unity. And this isn't like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if they all got along? No, this is like complete unity. This is mission critical. Again, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus sets forth this vision of his church in his last hours and says, my church, my church, the church that I am building, the kingdom of God that I am building here on earth is so international. So multicultural, so multilingual, many colors, many different backgrounds, many different social backgrounds, many different economic backgrounds. It is so big, it is so diverse that by their way of being one, their oneness 
is going to cause the world to rise up because the oneness is not for us in the church. Do you hear that? It's not the oneness that we all get along and we have a happy kumbaya around the fire. The oneness that we have, the unity that we have is for those that are outside the church. For those that drive by, roll their eyes and go, there's a bunch of Christians again, all their different views, all their perspectives, and they go, there they go. And we go, they go, wow. That motley crew, bunch of people that have no business being together, what are they doing gathered together in spite of their diversity, in spite of all their different views, in spite of all their different perspectives, they come together in oneness? Come on. on. Jesus must have been from God. That's their only conclusion that they can come to when they see the church as one. It is mission critical that in our oneness, the world will look and go, They might disagree, they might agree to disagree, they might be different, they might come from all different backgrounds, but they've got this beautiful, unusual unity. Beautiful picture, amazing, incredible. But what happens if we don't do this? What happens if we, especially in this moment, if we put our political views, our opinions, our ideas, our divisions first. What happens? We make the cross dim. We blur the way to the cross. We confuse the message of the cross when we put our thoughts, our ideas, when we put our perspective out there, and you have to agree with this first. The witness of Jesus Christ and his church is at stake. You have heard the statement, and I have heard the statement way too many times this year, you cannot be a Christian and vote like this. You cannot be a Christian and think like that. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. You cannot be a Christian and do that. I am sorry. What Bible are you reading? It says, all who put their faith in Jesus Christ come to know him. It is the cross of Jesus that makes me a saint. It is not the thoughts and ideas that I had before coming to Christ. It's not the thoughts and perspectives that I had before it. I am sorry. Those things, we are putting blind, we are causing people to have a hard time coming to church, coming to faith. Now, I know that's strong. And I'm not saying you don't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you should. You should not voice your opinion. You should root on your candidate. You should share your thoughts, your perspectives, your ideas, your why. You should yell at the TV. You should pause it. You should commentate with your family of why he should have said this and what they should have done. And this is what should be going on. You should be doing all of that. But even if we agree to disagree and all of that and you make your voice known and you do all of this stuff, I'm challenging you to put your faith before your politics. Put your faith filter up before your politics. Because, listen, it just, it gets so blurry in this season right now. And we send a mixed message to our world. When we say, someone walks in, this is the tragedy. This is the tragedy of what can happen. Is I think in our world, our world is hurting. 
Our world is searching for answers. Our world is looking for, is there a solution? Is there someone, something that can bring me peace? So they're starting to investigate what they believe about. I mean, everybody, like, they're, they're told, if you go outside, you're going to die. Like, so, what, okay, what about eternity? What's going to happen? So they start looking, and, and they're fearful, and they start opening the Bible. They dust it off, and they're going, okay, this Jesus guy has something. Okay, the church seems to talk about Jesus. But then they, if it would be a shame if people come into a church looking for answers, and they see whatever, you choose your, you choose your item here, that comes first, and they go, so I have to agree with that before I can get to the cross? I have to agree with that before I come to Jesus? And as a cultural Christianity, we have put barriers from people coming to the cross. Now listen, this is so hard, this is so challenging, because in your mind you're going, Listen, Damien, there's no separation between my political view and my faith. They're one and one. They're, they're, they're in sync together. Damien, I, I'm a Democrat because I'm a Christian. I'm a Republican because of my faith. And some of us, like, they're, they're so, they feel so in sync right now. I mean, like, right? Like, come on, like, right? Like, the, the fact is that I could get up here and I could preach a sermon out of the Bible that would say to be Democrat. And I can preach a, bio, preach a sermon out of here of why to be a Republican. We could. Come on. Jesus, of, course God, of course Jesus was a Democrat. Did you see him? He was like, he was a healthcare dispensing machine. Everywhere he went, he was healing people and not charging them. You know, and like nobody got turned away for their health issues. They got healed. And then he like fed people. Like we know twice at least he fed all these people. Nobody was charged. He was all about charity and giving away. He was like that, right? Now there's like, no, God, like, no, God's moral. He has a law. He is, he's conservative. He wants us to preserve things. Yes. I mean, Jesus, like, we talk about him now. He's on the right hand of the Father, right? And the disciples are always asking about who's going to sit on your right. I want to sit on your right because we know that God is right and that the right is right. So you're a Republican because you're right, right? You know, it's like we can do this. Like, we can go like, yes. <sighs> we can find those things to support it. But when we try to get Jesus to be on our side, to be on our side, we make it challenging. We make it hard for those that are coming to Christ. And you know this. This is reminded of this at this moment. As, as you're sharing your voice, sharing your opinion, sharing your thoughts, you know this. You have friends, family members, loved ones that are far from Christ. You know people that you're to witness to. And the fact of the matter is, as amped up as you are in it right now, as excited as you are about all that's being said and all this, you know that when you die, you do not go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> that would be purgatory, right? No. We know that eternity is at stake. So as much as we want to share, let's not trade eternal perspective for limited earthly perspective. Let's keep that big vision in place. <sighs> Do I believe you should vote? Absolutely, completely. We so much believe in the vote that we're a polling center this year, okay? So if you see signs out in our yard that people put out there, don't believe that we're, we're going one way. We are becoming a place where people can come and vote, so they're gonna, we're going to try to take down signs. We told them they can't put them there, but they're going to probably happen. Don't be offended, all right? But we believe in voting. We believe that it matters. We believe your vote matters. We believe, does God care about who's in the White House? Yes. Yes, he does. 
because God cares about people and governments influence people, right? Proverbs 29.2 says this, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in power, they groan. Yes, God cares about who you vote. He cares about your, we care about your point of view. But in your influence, don't burn a bridge. Don't burn your influence over something temporary. And remember, 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 remember. (laughs) Remember that both and all kingdoms of this world have failed us, let us down. That the Republicans and Democrats have disappointed us. They have both exploited the poor. They have both been dishonest. They have both been less than perfect. They have both produced good leaders and bad leaders. And the financial trouble that we feel is kind of stirring there, like this thing's going to pop any moment, it is a greed problem. It is not a Democrat-Republican problem. The problems that we see are problems that only, the real problems are only things the gospel can fix. Right? Right? Racism, abortion, immigration are not Democrat and Republican issues. They are sin issues. They are sin issues. And only the cross of Jesus can take care of those things. Only when we get our eyes on Jesus and what he does, he's the one that changes hearts. Policies don't change hearts. It's to him that changes those hearts. So we must proclaim, believe, get excited about, yell about the message of Jesus above all the other issues that are going on. Because, listen, In just weeks away, on a Tuesday in November, your candidate will win or lose, depending on how a vote goes. But from now until then, and after then, the church will win or lose based on the behavior of the church every day until then. And I want the church to win. I want the church to when so (laughs) we're going to be i'm gonna challenge you guys because you guys are mature christians you guys are believers you guys can do this you can find those ways to put your faith filter before your political filter continue to put that first and yes People need to hear your point of view. People need to hear your perspective. People need to hear your story. People need to hear what you studied and why you believe this and why you believe that. People need to hear your perspective. They do. We need each other. We need to hear each other. And your vote matters. It's important. Each one of us should get alone, open our Bible, pray, and go, God, I have one vote. But my one vote matters God, you have ordained me, you have placed me, you have, by your sovereignty, have me in this nation at this point, as this time. And even though everybody's saying your vote doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you vote, especially in Illinois, you know, it doesn't matter what happened, you know, all this stuff doesn't, no, like, and they're they're both terrible, and it's not even worth voting. No, your vote matters. It matters. It matters. Because God does put leadership in place, but we are at a place where we get to be part of that process. So pray and seek and go, God, what do I do with this vote? And everybody's going to tell you, you're just voting between the less of two evils, two evils. So guess what? Choose the one with less evil. 
I want less evil in our nation, okay? Choose the one with less evil. So let's put that filter up. Team's going to come up. And we're going to be people that come to Christ. I'm going to be a follower of Christ before I'm a Republican. I'm going to be a follower of Christ before I'm a Democrat. Don't want to leave the libertarians out. I'm going to be a follower of Christ <laughs> before I'm a libertarian. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. This is what is key. This is what matters most. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to take some communion together. And I just want to just challenge us for a few moments as the team gets here in place and we're going to sing some songs. We're going to take communion together and worship. But I want you to, this isn't on the screen. I didn't put this on there because this came this morning. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. So we go on to taking communion. It's in these travel things right now. (laughs) So that means your communion can go with you. If you need to make something right before you come, if there's someone that you have offended, someone that you have if you have watched the debates, read the stuff, and you have felt hate in your heart towards a political candidate, if you have felt hate for a friend, a family member, someone on Facebook that doesn't agree with you, please bring that to Christ before taking this communion. Because that's the beauty of this cross is that he forgives us of our sins. So let's search our hearts for a moment. You guys start playing, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for who you are, for what you have done, Lord. Now, Lord, search our hearts, Lord, in this tense moment, Lord, that the enemy is on the prowl trying to seek someone who he can devour and destroy. Lord Jesus, Lord, in a moment where we could lose all hope, we put our hope in you and you alone, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, search our hearts, Lord. Have we held on to bitterness? Have we held on to hatred for those that have different views and different perspectives? Even if we think they're wrong, (laughs) we don't hate. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the glory that you brought your heavenly Father by going to that cross for our behalf. Lord, as you met with your disciples, Lord, you sat there and you said, Lord, this this is my body. My body broken for you. You willingly, by your choice, by your own decision, went to the cross and your body was broken on our behalf. Let that never get old. Let us never get tired of hearing, Lord Jesus, that you willingly chose that for us. Take the bread and break it. Let's take it together, Lord. And then, Lord, you took the cup. You said, this is the cup of the covenant, the new covenant. 
that does not just cover your sins, it washes you away, washes them away, and it empowers you with the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead so we can be people with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Lord, it is not of our own. It is not of ourself. It is because of what you did that empowers us to do so. So, Lord, we come to you, Lord, and we ask for forgiveness, Lord, where we've come short in that area. And Lord, we take this blood in remembrance, Lord, of the forgiveness that you offer. Let's take it together. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to be a people, Lord, that don't just say we want unity, don't just say we want oneness, that we walk in the oneness and the unity that you've called us to. Lord Jesus, by your power, by your blood, by your strength, in Jesus' name.